Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Samantha, uh, we have talked a lot about monsters and shipping and all of these things, <laughs> which is related to what the episode we're bringing back today. But I'm not sure I've ever asked you this. Do you have a favorite horror movie villain? Ooh. Yeah. I know you've never asked me that. And now I'm going to have to think about it because villain-wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you got your classics. We've been talking a lot about like... You know, I said I really like vampires. Like that, that's something yeah. that I really do like. But honestly, I love a good demon possession. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are the ones that can get you the best at right. times. Right. I will say, and I'm so sad it's a Roman Polanski film because I don't like him and I can no longer watch this. But Rosemary's Baby, the antagonist was a whole like cult yeah. to me. Yeah. So it always... For what it was for being a horror movie, to me, that was one of the ones that still stand today mm-hmm. as a horror movie. Yeah. Like, you know, because a lot of the older ones are really cheesy and you're like, what is that? Like, <laughs> right. Or, you know, uh, even Jaws to a certain degree. Like, you're like, mm-hmm. hey, okay. But I feel like things like that, when it comes to an idea, yeah, is what gets me more than anything else. Right. I mean, it's upsetting how much that movie still holds up for sure. Yeah. I'm somebody who's oddly like very competitive about things that don't matter. Like I don't really care, but like if a movie comes out and it's like Freddy versus Jason, I I have an immediate like, oh, this one should win. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why that is, but so I have like rankings of, you know, you got your Hellraiser and your Candyman and Freddy and Jason and Michael and all of those people. One of the reasons I was thinking about this is I was talking about with some friends of ours this past weekend, this game Dead by Daylight. I think that's what it's called. But you, you get to pick like a popular villain and everyone else is trying to survive and you're, you know, Michael trying to kill them and you have to survive till daylight or kill them all to win, depending on who you are. I really like Samara from The Ring. <laughs> for the, orig- the original ring. I really like Pyramid Head from Silent Hill, the game, but you know, it's also represented in the movie. Much more messed up, perhaps. Well, no, it's messed up all around. <laughs> That's on my next watch list. Oh, gosh. I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's really... If you can do a good villain in a Halloween movie, even if it's kind of cheesy or kind of fun, funny, like that can that really is what makes it a lot of times. Right. Is you've got to have that villain that either really scares you and or is somehow like you can see they're... they're not maybe their side of it, but kind of like their origin story, you kind of understand. Or yeah. they might not even have one at all, and that's even terrifying. Or they're funny. Or there's something about them that's kind of like Freddy with his puns or whatever. <laughs> Fair. Yes, yes. I've thought about this a lot at length. Yes. Um, but yes, all of that being said, we wanted to bring back this episode about women and their their love of monsters. So please enjoy. Hey, this is Annie. And I'm Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Okay. All right, here we go. Today, we are finally tackling a topic I have wanted to talk about 
for a long time. I believe in the first ever episode that I was on that wasn't kind of an intro episode, right. I mentioned that I wanted to talk about this. Right. I think you told me that pretty quickly as one of your ideas when we were discussing the future of Sementi. And I'm like, I don't know if I can contribute to this, but I will be there to listen. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. And I've wanted to talk about this like just not even on podcast, but just a woman about town. A woman about town <laughs> yes. even. Well, yes. I'm a woman well. about town since Twilight was Golly at its peak geez. because I, I was just so kind of befuddled and intrigued right. about what was happening. So did you watch any of the Twilight? I watched the first one, and I'm not here to, to make fun of what um, anyone enjoys. Um, I just wasn't... Right. I went in blind, and I... I laughed at a part I'm not sure I was supposed to laugh at. The whole first movie was kind of laughable. It was the first movie. And this young girl behind me threatened to cut me in an alleyway. (laughs) And I was like, I want to talk about this. One day I'll have a podcast of my own and I can can delve into why. So I was in the middle of the Twilight frenzy as well. And Mm -hmm. I was much older than majority of the Twilight people Mm -hmm. who, Twilight fans, I think, the fandom. Um, And I will say it was really enjoyable. And Mm -hmm. I did like it because it was an easy read. Mm -hmm. And it was really like mind-numbing in the sense of like you don't have to think too hard into it. Yeah. And as any other thing, we talk about fangirling, which is sexist in a comment. But essentially... Um, the idea that you get really obsessive mm-hmm. with the character and or an idea. And this is kind of that world, that fantasy world, which also translated into Fifty Stairs of Grey. Yes. But Fan fiction of Twilight. Right. But it brought that same kind of infatuation, brought that for older women and older generations. Mm-hmm. That would have been that way for Twilight, I, th- I think. Yeah. And I that's why I don't want to be judgmental of that because I think because I don't like romance, that's why I didn't like Twilight. But if I fangirled about so much stuff, right. I was, believe me, Harry oh. Potter, I went, and it's still, still. Right. Um, right, and I think for me, I'm not necessarily all about romance, but as a person who wished to have romance or wished <laughs> for the perfect idea uh-huh. of romance, um, but I'm cynical in real life, uh-huh. oddly enough, that I'm like, yeah, this would be awesome. yeah. I'll take your word for it. I'm just saying. We will be returning to Twilight. Uh, I love how we always bury the lead of what the episode is about. Uh, so we're talking about... <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. No, 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 no. I love it. We're talking about women and monsters and monsters. kind of this this trope and this attraction of, it seems, in a lot of our media, women and monsters. Right. Vampires being one of those. And before we get into it, um, trigger warnings. We're, I mean, this is just going to kind of come up. We're not going to delve right. into it. But, it's really um, lighthearted. Yeah. Um, esque. There is one thing that I will maybe say is not. But it's it's generally we're just kind of mentioning these things. Rape, sexual assault, and general warning about porn and fetishes. And um, we do want to be careful to not judge any consensual, safe, healthy things that people are into. Right, and again, and uh, we'll be talking more and more about this with like the BDSM and bondage, but everything has to do with consent and communication Mm -hmm. and being an adult who can consent legally. Yep. Yes. Um, So, let's get into it. I'm so excited. Um, Even if there's no sexual attraction, it's hard to deny after looking at our pop culture that we don't find monsters, especially the more human-esque, humanoid ones, 
appealing. People writing about the popularity of monsters point to their relatability. They're different than us humans here, but um, we can see ourselves in them, and a lot of us can connect with that feeling of being outcast. Right. You want to be the underdog that comes out on top. Yes, yes. We love an underdog. And like I've said many times, I think horror movies are great mirrors to reflect back what we as a society have hang-ups around, um, and something similar can be said around monsters. Right. They embody both fear and desirability and fear around desirability. And really, doesn't that sound like we're describing attitudes around sex? I mean, yeah. I mean, I will say for me, and it's not exactly a monster monster, but like Dexter. Uh-huh. His character was intriguing to me because it had a bit of my biggest fear of who I could be. Oh, really? Right, yeah. Oh, I'm like getting up out of my <laughs> are you, chair. Are you a little nervous now? Are you a little nervous? I'm a little nervous. Uh, because he, it reflects a lot about tra- uh, trauma in childhood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he kind of is that guy that, as the monster, you want to make better somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting dichotomy. I was trying to explain to a friend after perhaps one, two, minty glasses of wine at 5 a.m., um, yes. This That's, was after we karaoke'd. Oh, see, this is why I can't hang with you past, like, 1 a.m. <laughs> we, we had to wait for our pizza to arrive. <laughs> um, and I was just explaining to her, she, she does this thing where she becomes contrary when she's drunk. Um, and she was picking a fight with me, but she was like, I don't understand why you like the Winter Soldier so much because his hair part's so weird. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with looks. It's all about the trauma he represents. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting away from the point. I'm so sorry. No, no. Uh, there are so many examples of right. this in our movie. So many. Right. Um, Beauty and the Beast, Dracula, Twilight, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Vampire Diaries, True Blood. Although, there's a lot of attraction going on in True Blood. They have all the monsters in True Blood. Yes. You have from like werewolves to witches to mm. vampires to fairies. Yeah. I guess that's not really a monster, is it? Actually, they well, turn out to be monsters. Oh, spoilers. In True, True Blood. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that makes sense. I, I included, I just wanted to include that because I think in True Blood, it's just generally a lot of attraction and desirability. But there are a lot of monsters well. And as well. they're all the whole, like, idea of saving that one, like, what is that? Innocent character. Suki? Like the, yeah, she's kind of the innocent virgin that they're trying to take care of, all of them are fighting over her. This right. one pure, very white, very blonde girl mm-hmm. with all the monsters around her and how she attracts those people. That's part of her sexuality as well. Right. So, I mean, it's absolutely a part of this. Oh, for sure. Um, Shape of Water is a big recent one. Venom, which apparently caused a lot of excitement for some folks. I can't remember what it's called. There's a name for it. But... Oh, really? Because I was going to say Tom Hardy, right? Yeah. Oh, end of story. That's all. <laughs> I've never seen this movie, but Tom Hardy's. Oh, I've seen it an embarrassing amount of times because of my parody that I'm making. That's right. It's and all you're for a song. Yes, it's all for. I'm ready parody. to be in that. Oh well, you will be. So good. Um, and it's slightly different for this example of Venom because this was the audience being attracted to the monster as opposed to like in the movie. I, I think it's an interpretation from the audience. Oh, okay. Um, but I I because wanted to include it. Tom Hardy. Yeah, but there's a, even the, it was big enough that the company that produced this, which I believe was Sony, um, they released a trailer after the movie came out that painted it as a rom-com. It was that big of a deal. Are you kidding me? No, and it's great. It's it's great. I guess I need to watch it. I have not seen any of I mean, that no. yet. 
I mean, yes, but I mean. <laughs> it's not good. But, you know, if, apologies to anyone who likes Venom out there. <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, yes. Yeah, okay. I mean, you do what you want to do. I'm just going to warn you. It's fun, but perhaps. Not what I no, expected. Not okay, okay. Um, older movies were likely to include a less human-looking creature lust- lusting after a human woman like King Kong. I think there is something different about these old-school monster movies, too, because they were less about female desire and how we view it, and more about the male gaze, and we're almost entirely written by men. It's like male creatures assaulting women. Right. And I guess if you think about how Dracula has changed over yeah. time, mm-hmm. like he was really big monster, pointy-eared guy, and now it's all of a sudden this beautiful man that glistens. <laughs> Does he glisten? Well, according to Twilight, he glistens. Oh, okay. He twinkles. He, t- he sparkles. Oh, he twinkles. I'm sorry, he sparkles. Yeah, that, that was... That wasn't the scene I laughed, but I almost laughed at that, that scene. That wasn't well. like a laughable scene. I well. laughed when he like walked in and smelled Bella for the first time and he made that face. When he covered his nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah was I just pretty. didn't know what was going on. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if if we can include fan fiction, which everyone knows I I'm, I'm want to do, it's everywhere. Harry Potter, which is my specialty, there are irresistible werewolves, vampires, Vila, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's more like they can't resist the human character they are infatu- infatuated with most of the time, which doesn't really make sense. And in the books, the centaurs are are um, seen as sexual objects. Like the women, like the girls are automatically attracted to them. It yeah. doesn't show them much, so much in the movie. Right. But in the books, they do. Yeah. Video games have some interesting examples where a player can choose to pursue a relationship with a non-human. I still don't get that. Oh, I've done it. I, I know. I mean, like uh, my friend who plays the video games, he does it too. And I'm like, why? Oh, okay, here we go. Um, so usually in this case, it's an alien, not of, of the monster variety, but, you know, depending on your take of aliens, I guess. A- anyway, um, I always went for Garrus, Arliara, both of whom are alien when playing the human female character in Mass Effect. This is like a foreign language to me. I know. Keep going, Shout keep out going. to the Mass Effect oh, players. Yes. Um, there's a game called Coming Out on Top, which is about queer folks exploring their sexuality, where you can opt for a goldfish as a sexual partner, um, as one of many paths. Many, many paths. Um, why, it's really hard to describe. Why, why, why a goldfish? I mean, I think it's just about options. Okay. Um, okay. That's the same with... You know, Mass Effect and Garrus. I liked his voice, and he seemed even even keel. It was all about personality. It was about his personality. Yeah. I got you. I got you. And then there is monster porn, our cryptozoological erotica, which generally involves a human woman having sexual encounters with some type of creature. And this is actually largely written by women. Really? Mm-hmm. There is perhaps a surprising amount of science looking to why this is a thing, or perhaps it's not surprising at all. Um, the current consensus is it has to do with usually women wanting to explore a wider variety of erotic experiences. Hmm. On the internet porn side of it, though, one mystery German dude has produced almost all of the sea creature porn that exists. So he does all the tentacle porn? I don't think it's tentacle porn. I think it's more like Creature from the Black Lagoon because um, when the company that makes the sea creature outfit that is almost always featured in these porn videos were asked about it um, and and told, you know, hey, did you know that your sea creature outfit is in all this porno? (laughs) Uh, They responded, quote, we did not know that our sea creature costume was being used in pornographic films. We hope the actors find the costume comfortable, easy to wear, and that the audience enjoys the artistic beauty of the costume. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That is the most generic, like, um... Company, like, corporate <laughs> answer. But <laughs> right. I love it. That's pretty... Right. I mean, 
I enjoy it. Unbiased, like, oh yeah, it's fantastic. We like we, we, we like hope you it's like comfortable our and you can appreciate I the hope beauty. You appreciate that. <laughs> Due to calls that it promoted bestiality and brutality, Amazon and other websites took down some monster porn, including that Bigfoot <laughs> one. Everyone always uses as an example. I think probably most of you have seen it or heard of it in passing, even if you don't no. know it. I bet you. Is it bad? Like, no, I, no, I, won't, I just, don't want to look it up. It's just popular. Um, I did. I haven't read it. I wouldn't be ashamed That's if I had, though. It's interesting. I, like, I don't understand. Like, I didn't know this was an option. Yeah, so I it is. I feel very naive right now. Well, I usually feel that way, so it's good to have the and tables turned. The flips turned. have turned. Yeah, yeah. it is turned. <laughs> At first, I wasn't going to include robots. Oh, what a fun sentence that is. Um, but then I got to thinking about the symbolism in the alien movies of the android trying to kill Ripley in the first one and in the newer ones, how David... Um, who's an android, like, always falls in love for the lead female character and or wants to kill her, despite being a robot that shouldn't, in, in this in this movie, shouldn't have those feelings. Right. Um, and all the hubbub about how hot the robot was and lost his face. Uh, the new Netflix lost in his face. Oh, okay. So I think related but different. I mean, would that include, like, Blade Runner? Aren't they all, like, some kind of android? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And then they have creation of life, and that becomes problematic because they have created life somehow. Yeah. Is that right? I've not watched it fully, but I know oh. people are really big fans of this. Yes, they are. And they love this idea. And mm-hmm. the last one had Ryan Gosling, who was a beautiful, beautiful man playing a beautiful, beautiful oh, robot, right? Samantha, I was on the Ryan Gosling train. Way before me. I was. I was nine years old. Hey, hey. Uh... Young Hercules had a big crush. Oh, that's right. He was on there. Yes. What if I, I, told I you think was, I've said this in like 10 episodes. What if I told you I liked him from Mickey Mouse Club? Oh, no. You're right. He could mm-hmm. beat me. Oh, no. I don't want to know the truth. Okay, I like I to live in truth. this world. But, I mean, I guess that would be like the objectification, objectification of robots, right? Yeah. I think there's... It, that could be a whole... And I would love to talk about that as well. A different episode. But just the... Um, like they're you, but not quite you. Right. Like there's something the almost dangerous about it, kind of unpredictable. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So those those are a lot of the examples, and um, we have a lot more to discuss. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. We're not the only ones who are curious about this, or I'm not. I mean, Samantha's just kind of... I'm just learning. This is a fascinating topic, so let's keep going. (laughs) Okay. Psychologists think that it in part has to do with the allure and thrill of the unknown. There's also an inherent power dynamic, a submissive dominant layer that some people are attracted to. On top of that, monsters can often represent repressed sexuality, especially things that are taboo or perverse, mm-hmm. and sexual desire. Monsters can represent raw animal passion and also often exemplify exaggerated masculine traits. It can be exciting and different, and sometimes people are attracted to that danger, kind of like we were just talking about. Something else I found said early examples of this, especially in children's movies like Beauty and the Beast, were meant as almost moral tales of male predatory behavior and gender roles and scripts. So men, in this case, are animalistic with insatiable desires, and women either will fall victim to that desire or have to cater to it. Right. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say that about the Red Riding Hood, Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, yeah. That came up as an example as well. 
Um, Belle's love, and in this case, you can read it as femininity in her sex, makes the beast human. It redeems his animalistic, brutish nature, brings out his best qualities. Without it, he is a monster. But Gia Tolentino wrote in The New Yorker, the half-buried truth about Disney's Beauty and the Beast is that, in the end, the prince is a letdown. I thought so, too. <laughs> like, it's not as good as the beast? No, I like, it's not even that. For me, it was for a lot of people because you do spend the whole movie with this right. character and then it's like a blonde ponytail dude. And right. Like, Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Right, right. I just remember thinking, no. Right. <laughs> you like the goofy manner. I guess I, I think I was just... <sighs> I'm thinking about the scene where she's teaching him how to eat correctly. Right. And he's like, oh. was always <laughs> like a big bumbly guy who stops and he's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it's just you spend time... Like, it's kind of odd to, at the end, here is this character, and it just feels jarring, kind right. of. Um, and if it is, like, the top search result, if you type in Beauty and the Beast prints, and it's, like, it's a letdown. So <laughs> a lot of people think that. Um, okay. And there's also Stockholm Syndrome involved in that that particular example. Right. Can also be interpreted as Belle sacrificing her freedom and the Beast sacrificing what made him different. Hmm. Mm. And then, um, kind of related, Buffy has that, and I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it has that problematic thing with Angel and Buffy where <laughs> the second after they have sex, he becomes a mindless monster and she loses him. Right. Um, and then there's also the problematic thing of the attempted rape of Buffy by Spike. Don't they get together in the end? Uh, they get together at some points over, oh, I can't God. remember how it ends. I just oh, remember no. that being a thing. And I'm thinking, they do get together. Wow. So he tried to rape her, but then they got together. Yeah, There's but There's so many, many things. And then, then this is a whole cautionary tale. If you have sex, yes. it's going to be really bad. Yes. The guy who you like will be an ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was tra- me trying you to say You were going to say something worse, but then, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, and then there was a book. I think it's written by R.L. Stein. Um, it was definitely one of those uh, teen thriller slash horror writers that I love wrote an adult book, adult novel, which included yes. this, like, monster character that I think came from incest somehow, and he's he's a horrible man, a horrible thing with no mind, and the mother is trying to control him or whatever, and then he goes out and eats people, but one of the scenes, he's raping a woman that he's essentially eating at the same time on a carnival ride, I believe. What? It was really like, what is going on? And of course, the woman who was eaten was the slut of the characters. So there was like like four college friends, Mm -hmm. and the virginal, is that a word? Yeah. The virginal one was like protected somehow, but the slut character was yeah. the one that ended up being eaten and raped as if she deserved it. And she yeah. she tried to, I think, entice him as a way to try to get away from him, as if, like, giving what he wanted, oh, what yeah. the monster wanted, she could maybe live, but she, of course, doesn't. Right. I just remember that being like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah. So it kind of took all the tropes of mm-hmm. the cliches of monsters and films and all of that and women within monsters and books. It's kind of like, what is what the hell just happened? Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah, that that sounds a lot like, have you ever seen Cabin in the Woods? 
Yes. It sounds like that. But Cabin in the Woods is a parody. Right. Um, also, when Samantha brought this up in the studio, that there was an R.L. Stein adult book, me and super producer Andrew got so excited. <laughs> and then, then I started explaining what it was, and both of you were like, oh, no, nope. that sounds terrible. Nope. And I need to go back and make sure. I, I, either it was R.L. Stein or maybe Christopher Pike. But it was definitely one of those, and the reason I read it was because I loved them both so much growing up. Right. You know, who doesn't love the Fear Street Chronicles? It's fantastic. Yeah. Or all goosebumps. of the... Goosebumps. See, I didn't like Goosebumps as much. I like the Fear Street. I liked Goosebumps. I like the witches. I like the one with the two girls who go hitchhiking, and one of the girls is the murderer, but you think it's the guy that oh, they pick up the entire oh. time. They, he knew how to do a good plot twist. A twist. A twist. <laughs> Some studies have shown that despite finding the possibility or reality of real-life rape horrifying and traumatic, up to 63% of women admit to fantasizing about having sex against their will, particularly with monsters. And we, we sort of touched on this. It depends on publishing schedules. Right. Um, but I think it's super complicated, and I, along with the study authors, want to emphatically drive home, this does not mean that women want to be raped in real life. No, no, no. Right. No. Not coerced, not forced, nothing of the sort, um, like some men disgustingly and excitedly claimed when these survey results came out. It's, um, there's a lot of reasons behind it, but like we were saying, there are two consenting adults can agree to like... Um, Many plays or scenes as we yes. now learn the terms for... Yes. Um, as in fact, and what you do in the privacy of your own home with your partner or whomever you're with that day and you have an established actual play thing. Consent, uh, consenting thing yeah, that you want to whatever do. whatever it is, and that's fine. But once again, there's still consent in play. There whether has to be. it's like there's a time frame, whatever scenario you've got for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of my own theories on why this is, and I think... Like most things, there's a lot going on and everybody is different. But um, science, people who studied this and conducted the the survey think it has to do um, with, with both people who generally take charge in things and find it a relief to not right. take charge of something, to like relinquish control or right. responsibility. Um, and then there is also... Women feeling like she can't say yes to something she wants or simultaneously fearing and desiring sex um, or wanting her beauty and desirability, which is our currency in this society, confirmed as irresistible. And these are like fantasies, again, like just to drive that home, it's fantasies. Um, Some psychologists think it has to do with the woman fearing emasculating the man and promoting violence and diminishing her desirability if refusing sex. And yes, all of this is very hetero research. Um, And a couple of things to add here is the women who reported having these fantasies also reported higher levels of consensual fantasies and higher levels of openness and positivity when it comes to sex as opposed to the women who didn't. Because of that, some psychologists think this fantasy might be an underlying desire to explore more sexual scenarios like bondage or some other kink. Again, 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 do not take this as women secretly want for sex because it, no. That is not a thing. It is not ever, ever a thing. Not a thing. No. You will know from the mouth of the woman no. if she wants to have sex. Yes. Yes. Um, and it, because we are going to discuss bondage and um, fetishes. The mouth of the partner. Yes. Mouth of the partner. Consent. 
on all parties. <laughs> on every party. And again, fantasy different. is a fantasy. Yes, very different. And the likelihood of someone acting out their fantasies are going to be still in the conversation. Right. And communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. Uh, and we will be return- returning to that a little bit in um, upcoming episodes. Scientists and psychologists take issue with the term rape fantasy, too, saying it should be more accurately described as consensual ravishment yes. or agreed-to aggression. And again, I think this has a lot to do with our own um, past societal ideas of being manly or masculine. Mm-hmm. And again, this is very heteronormative. Um, but if you look at things like the Fountainhead, there's a pretty intense scene of this guy coming after her who is the uh, main protagonist and the hero of the book with this girl who is snobby and rich that gets taken by him. And the same idea with Gone with the Wind when he picks her up and ravishes her essentially yeah. and he feels regret the next day. That is not the same thing. No. And for some reason it is romanticized. And so yes. therefore the idea of having a rep butler in your life sweeping you away as opposed to, hey, if this is any other guy trying to touch me, I'd punch him in the throat and the dick. <laughs> I guess I can't say that, can I? <laughs> I think so. Okay, well, I just did. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's the difference. It's like this is a whole picture. And, again, breaking down what is norm and what is not norm. And yeah. then breaking down what is acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I was reading some other studies about how um, there's a fear of communicating, like, what you want if it's not quote-unquote normal when it comes to sex, if it is kind of a fantasy or something that might be a little um, more risque. Right. So uh, it is hard to get good numbers around it because, you know, people are a little, can be a little shy. Well, and also there's still that shame factor that happens as we talk about many, many times and and whether or not we can say what we want because will you look on me with shame? Do I have guilt about these feelings? Whatever, whatnot. Yeah. Um, There's a huge cloud over everyone Mm -hmm. um, with whatever they think is not normal based on their experiences or their environment or their social ideas. Um, And so therefore they would rather just sit in silence than actually communicate and be open, which is sad. Yeah, yeah, but I think things are changing. Slowly. Slowly. Yes. There are a lot of dudes and some women who like to argue that the attraction to monsters thing demonstrates that toxic masculinity doesn't exist and that it's what women really want and also know. Also know. That doesn't even make sense. Like, what? Yeah, I just saw that in a lot of places and I was like, okay, well, no, but... I want to address it. Side issue, female sea creatures giving up power and family to be with human men. Because I've seen that in a couple of things, a la Ponyo or the Little Mermaid. Other related side issue, the, quote, monster hotness gap. I did not coin that. Or the fact that, generally speaking, female monsters have to be hot and overly sexualized. But this isn't as often the case with women and male monsters. Just think of monster Halloween costumes for men versus women. Yeah, that like... I mean, you and I are talking also the fact that when we look at um, the movie with Megan Fox. Oh, Jennifer's body? Yeah, Jennifer's body. Mm -hmm. She's a monster, but she's this hot-ass monster that comes (laughs) around and, you know, seduces boys. Mm -hmm. Um, And many of the times you see these monsters being really beautiful females and then transforming into this ugly thing later on in time. 
Yeah, um, showing you the true, the, the true monster within and the zombie <laughs> She's within. She's on her period. Right, right. <laughs> um, as where the monsters or men are just out there. And, and I mean, have you ever heard of the reverse Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Hunk? Hunk and the Beast, not Beauty and the Beast. I'm sorry, it would be Hunk and the Beast. And no, like it shouldn't beauty exist. And the beauty and the Hunk. That's just, that's just like most a, of our media. I was going to say, that's just a reality show happening yeah. on the beach, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we're also, ha- I just dated myself by using the term Hunk, didn't I? I don't know. I think Hunk still happens. Is that a thing? Okay. I think so. Um, there's also a female monster sympathy gap. We're more likely as audiences to sympathize with male monsters than we are with female monsters. I wonder why that could be. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also, female monsters are almost always single, and I almost went into a huge tangent about it, but then I was like, you got to rein they yourself in. They also almost always go after their best friend's guys. I've yeah. noticed that a lot. Like They mm. go after something that is right. You know, supposed to be priority for females. Being catty, yeah. as it were. Um, Some of the things we're talking about here can and sometimes do fall under the umbrella of fetish or kinks, but not always. I do want to mention that a Shape of Water-themed dildo on Etsy keeps selling out. And after its Oscar win, it sold out in 20 minutes. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen that movie just because I couldn't understand the premise. And I I get it. I get it. But at the same time, I was like, no. There's a really interesting take on that movie um, about how it's supposed to be, you know, romantic. But at the same time, the director, is Guillermo del Toro, right? He kind of has publicly looked down on people fetishizing oh. um, the monster. Not even fetishizing, but just kind of romanticizing. And it, but, it, but at the same time, it's like, but this is they? what the movie is. Right. It's, it's weird. I I saw that came up a lot when I was researching this, but it wasn't exactly what we're talking about, so I didn't include a lot of it. Um, I've always thought this whole thing had something to do with how women and society at large are taught to fear female sexual desire and pleasure, going back to, like, the taboo thing. So a lot of us have difficulty expressing it and also suffer from low self-esteem. Enter a sexy, powerful vampire who literally cannot resist you, who is so in love, heavy quotes with you. He watches you sleep at night. Creepy. And wants to hear your every thought. Super creepy. Yep. But I found some pieces that argued it might have to do with marginalized people empathizing with creatures on the outside of society. That's true. There's some criticism in that vein, too, that rather than depict sex outside of our cis-hetero norms, pop culture opts for monsters instead. Hmm. Yeah, I found that interesting. And related to this, our more modern take on more respectful, consensual monsters with women pairings and attraction to them is sometimes credited to our desire to see stories that allow women more sexual agency, that depict more queer lead relationships, and or depict more non-white leading relationships and Hollywood's resistance oh. to that. Because these are still straight white ladies falling for monsters. That's true. As opposed to doing that. But, like, we're craving something else so much than what we've seen that, I guess, for monsters are the way we're going with it. Okay. Something else I read claimed that vampires and werewolves often, especially in older works, were layered with homosexual overtones and thus a fear of spreading homosexuality. Hmm. Yes, yes. Um, And I also want to add that I think writing fan fiction that involves sex with a monster that isn't consensual is often a way of working through complicated feelings around sex um, or past sexual experiences. 
is easier to think of someone as a straight-up monster than a human person who victimized you. That's just my theory about some of it, not all of it at right. all, but some of it. And another theory I have, because I have thought about this There's a so lot. so many theories. Yeah, um, I love it. Is that all of this might have to do with male writers grappling with the societal scripts that tell them that they can't control their desires. Right. And women will love them no matter their monstrous attitude anyway. Or that, that the love of a woman right. will make them better. The love of a pure woman. Yes. Will make yeah. them pure as well. Exactly. So there's a lot going on here. Um, but we're not done. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. I hope it's vampire stuff. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we are back with vampires, yes. Samantha. Because uh, I, I did want to look at them specifically for a second. And I was, I asked you before we did this if you had any kind of monster attraction did, things going on. And you said... The one thing that I've always really, really liked are vampire stories. Mm-hmm. And I've loved them from the beginning. And this is why I also say I did know about Twilight. I also loved um, Interview with a Vampire. That was one of my favorites. I even watched the one with Jim Carrey. The really, really old school one. What? What is that? It's a, like a com- comedy. Uh, yeah, good gosh, it's so old. <laughs> Jim uh, Carrey was a vampire? Yes. He, he, beca- he, he transforms into a new vampire. Oh. And it was, um, it only got 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it was a 1985 film. Uh-huh. And yeah, he gets bitten. I can't remember the quite premise. He gets bitten and he's slowly transforming. And it's, obviously it's a bit of a comedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I even watched that one because I really liked it. I liked the idea. Yeah, there's something to me when you see this kind of like darkness and defying death, I think it was part of my fascination. Mm-hmm. Also, Brad Pitt was beautiful. Yeah. I will say the scene between him and Kirsten Dunst was really, really creepy. It almost... Yeah, did not make me happy. It definitely didn't make me happy. But it's very sexualized. Like of all, yeah. I feel like of all of the monster movies, or like that type of non-human movies, vampires are the most sexualized yeah. to me than anything else. I would agree. I would agree with that, and that's why we have this whole section specifically yeah. for them. Um, <laughs> what does that say about me then? Damn. No, no, no. Uh, you were definitely not alone. Um, so I, I found a lot of theories about why we have a fascination with vampires and one of the and while they're so sexualized and one of the first things that I ran into that was really obvious when I read it but I was still sort of surprised is that it's a replacement for sex because you're like exchanging bodily Bodily fluids uh, but you're not having sex again it's someone who maybe can't resist you who might bite you at any time, can offer you eternal life, eternal youth, um, is unchanging and steady. I thought that was such a funny argument, but again, I guess that makes sense. Like if you want somebody steady, a commitment in your life, then someone will commit to you. Right, right. There you go. Right. A safe sex symbol. I found that argument. Um, The bad boy and the allure of reforming him. Right. Or the tortured, sensitive soul. I do love a really sad boy. I do, too. And I don't... Uh, I have a lot of friends that make fun of me for that, but... Um, oh, my goodness. I did. I like the tortured artist guy. That was my thing. Well, that was another episode to come back to. The <laughs> <laughs> um, fact that they're mesmerizing. 
um, the fantasy of not having to be responsible and almost always played by conventionally attractive actors. I'm sure that does Although not the hurt. original Dracula. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, this is our newer... Nosferatu? Nosferatu. Nosferatu was not a pretty boy. No, no. Have this you is... seen um, As We Lie in the Shadows? What We Do in the Shadows? Uh, what We Do in the Shadows. I love that love movie. That. I, I love the show. <laughs> I haven't watched the show yet. The show's yet, good. But I know the movie in itself. It kind of goes back to the old school idea of like, yeah, it's not as sexy as you think. And I no. do love their takes on that. Yes, I love it. Any listeners who are interested, highly recommend it. Good, good show. Good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Twilight is often seen as a metaphor for abstinence. Oh, absolutely. Uh, before marriage. Edward can hardly resist Bella's scent, but he must, or she will be condemned to be a monster too. Putting the responsibility on the woman for the man's desires and actions, another example of that. Um, but also complicated by the fact that she does love him. Right. Um, and also complicated by the fact that I suppose the message there is premarital sex is monstrous. Yeah, um, and I think you're going to talk about it, but actually he refuses to sleep with her because she wants to be with him so badly, and I don't think ever they've ever mentioned sex in the book or in the movie. Cause really? They, uh, well, no, I'm sorry, beforehand. Like, they don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says something along the time, learn, like, because the whole back and forth, oh, my God, I can't believe I know so much about this. I'm very excited. The whole back and forth is that she wants to be with him forever, mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to grow old and die, and he lives or whatever, and yeah. he doesn't want her to be a monster, as he is, quote, unquote. Right. Um, but she also wants to sleep with him. Mm-hmm. and she wants to sleep with him while she's still human mm-hmm. because she doesn't know that things will change when she's not uh, yeah, anymore, and sure. the only way he will do that is if they get married. So he is the one that puts it on her. So she gets married at 18, oh, 17, what? 18, and for some reason this is acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Even this day and age, and everybody's like super excited, and no one's really creeped out by the fact, hey, yeah, that's really weird. But mm-hmm. this is also that uh, religious stance, which the writer was very religious. Right. Is very religious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah um, she is. And that was part of her thing is the appeal to sexual attraction. But he was such a good guy and such a yeah. good man that he makes sure that they're married first. Mm-hmm. And that her her reputation yeah. is not hard. Oh, yeah, we don't want that. Because, you know, at 18, when sure. you get married in 2005, yeah. it's completely normal. Right. Um, and I, I did read that part of the appeal of Edward is that his love for Bella propels him to to combat his monstrous yes, urges. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Um, and I've said it before, we've talked about it in other episodes around stalking is not romantic, but the romance between Bella and Edward displays many signs that are precursors to abuse, if not outright abuse, mm-hmm. and stalking and controlling behavior. Um, pop culture has for so long painted that as romance and it can be hard to unlearn what we have taught like twilight is by no means the only offender here (laughs) this is everywhere right oh no it still is every day once Mm -hmm. again we talked about 50 shades of gray 50 shades of gray and that just happened the newest one was released a few years ago right yeah i mean it's everywhere yeah um, but I did want to put that in there. We are aware that uh, watching someone sleep against their will, perhaps. Super creepy. Yeah. Please don't yeah. do that. Um, one article claimed that the popularity of Twilight and other modern vampires um, is almost entirely straight women being attracted to gay men. Um, <laughs> hmm. Okay. And women being attracted to something dangerous yet safe. Like, they're powerful, but... They also have a lot of self-control. Like, they can protect you. Right. I don't know. I don't it's know. this I, whole, like, being saved idea. 
Yeah. And being pure and walking into something dangerous once mm. again. Because both Bella and even in True Blood, that's the same idea. And in the old school, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula with um, Gary Oldman yep. in Winona Ryder. Yep. Um, it's the same thing. She's this pure woman that comes through as an idea of saving an individual. Mm-hmm. And I will say True Blood did a better job of uh, at least... I guess because they had like, what, six, seven seasons long mm-hmm. of exploring her sexuality a little more and her being a little more demanding. Mm-hmm. She dreams that she has a threesome with him. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was very threesome, shocking. A threesome. <laughs> what? But two of the vampires, though. Oh, okay. I, I've, I don't remember that show very well. I only watched like first two seasons and with my friends. And again, I really like that show. <laughs> but I did like Godric. I remember Godric very vaguely and I liked him. Alex Skarsgård. I don't know who he was. Patrick. He was the one that Oh, oh, the burned. old. <laughs> oh, yeah, the old uh, yeah. human character. Yeah, yeah, and he was yeah. one of the first vampires, yes. Yeah. yes. I think it really is a desire to see something different than what we have seen. Right. Um, I also want to include in here briefly that when I was researching this, um, some examples included things for monsters that I found troubling, and I think there is a layer of... Um, ableism and misunderstanding of um, mental illness that is at play in a lot of this. Um, I just wanted to mention that. I I came across some examples that I was like, um, I don't know. Well, this whole idea is so um, demeaning to women in general Mm -hmm. um, and those who identify as female. Just anybody who, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong in delving into an imaginary world, imaginary world where you want more mm-hmm. or you want something that is purely your fantasy. You can think what you want. Again, I still like vampires. I still think it's fantastic. I still like the idea um, of that kind of fantasy realm. But A, I don't want to be stalked. B, I don't want anyone to draw blood from me. So, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, there is that fine line of where do we push this idea where women become these objects of whether it's they have to be the representation of purity mm-hmm. um, and they should be always pure and uh, gentle and kind and, and giving and, and change people, which is my like my own personal struggle in trying to be like, I got to help and fix people. Mm-hmm. That's not a true thing, but these films oftentimes portray that as this is the best way to be a woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or this is the best way to be a good partner. Mm-hmm. And you start looking at things like Fifty Shades of Grey and understand, I think what I do like about all these things is it does portray that women are sexual and do desire to have to be a part of that fantasy life mm-hmm. and to do some more exploration and that these conversations should happen, but they do definitely like put women in a box and you have to be careful on both of those levels. Yeah. And... Also, I mean, with most media that we enjoy, well, I don't know about most, but a lot of media is um, an exaggeration of life. Right. Like, that's why we're going, is because it takes something that maybe we feel and exaggerates it. Like, superhero movies are a great example. Right. They're still human characters. I mean, when it's done well, they're human characters you can relate to, and they're dealing with things we can relate to, but on a bigger scale, like on on a more exciting, imaginative scale. Right. So I think that is at play here as well because, I mean, it's just different than a rom-com. It's a little right. a little more you dangerous. You want something a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, 
so we're about gonna wrap this up. Um, we didn't really get into, except for you briefly, Samantha, human monsters right. a la Dexter. Yeah. Because I think that that is a different thing. That is. It's a whole different level of, like, serial killers. Yeah, and, and we kind of briefly touched on that with the recent, like, the Ted Bundy right. documentary and the You on Netflix. That is a different thing. I'm happy to talk about it at a future date. But basically, human sexuality is complicated and is influenced and shaped by a plethora of things. And it comes out in many different forms and in many different ways. It does indeed. And um, we would love to hear from listeners about your favorite monster movies, if you've written any stories or fan fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, would love to read it. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Mr. Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 